This episode is sponsored by Enriched Superfoods. Enriched is my go-to store for the most powerful, most pure superfoods on the plain et. They've got all the good stuff from maca to matcha, from shilajit to powdered greens. But you know what I love the most? I love the mushrooms. Now I know what most of you are thinking, get on with the show, right? But I know what else you're thinking. You're thinking, how can I get better at strangling people? Us jiu-jitsu guys, we're all the same. We want to be better, we want to be badder. Well, being better requires two things, learning more stuff and being able to execute more stuff. And Enriched has got you covered with what I'm calling the white basement jiu-jitsu super stack. First is lion's mane mushroom to supercharge memory, focus and clarity and even better, give a neurotrophic boost literally helping you grow new jiu-jitsu brain cells. Now, a jiu-jitsu super brain is all well and good, but if you can't execute on the mat, then it don't mean jack. That's why the second half of the super stack is the legendary Cordyceps CS4 mushroom extract, scientifically proven to offer heroic levels of stamina and energy, as well as improved lung function, actually helping you breathe better while you stop other people from breathing at all. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod for a 10% discount across the whole site. Want to get more taps in more rounds and more respect from more people? Then get super stacked. Go to enriched.co and use the promo code WhiteBasementPod. So as my friend gets shot, I come out and I've got maybe maybe 10 rounds, you know, which is shoot uh, a couple of rounds, a couple of rounds, a couple of rounds. But you've only got 10 rounds and that's it. That's your lot. So in this time, he has to avoid me shooting him and then he has to find this gun on this guy who's lying on the floor to holster and shoot me from there. And as he's come through and there's all this smoke and explosion and stuff like that, he's gone down and I started firing like that. And I could see that he was finding it really hard to find the gun in the holster. And I'm running out of bullets. So I was like, I don't know how long this can last. And then he was, and then I ran out of bullets and he was still trying to find a holster. And I thought, oh shit, he hasn't found a holster. I have to, I'm gonna have to make something up. I'm gonna have to look less eggy. So I started, you know, loading a gun and thinking it was jammed and that lot. And in the end, he wasn't gonna get to it. And they cut. And Daniel Craig went fucking ballistic. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Uh, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe and share the show. It helps us to grow. My guest today is Leon Soir, a man who is testament to the philosophy that you create your own luck and you make your own opportunities. Most well known for appearances in No Time to Die, Fast and Furious 6 and Rogue One. He's a martial artist, a stuntman and a member of the League of Shadows. Leon, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, as, as, I, was, uh, as I was saying to you before uh, we started recording, uh, Batman Begins is my, is my favourite superhero movie. Um, and as I said also, I, I love uh, an origin story. So um, <laughs> maybe we can start off um uh, actually actually I, f I forget i must uh 
I must do a quick thanks to Jeep Blue Zone for hooking us up. Oh, yeah. So, yes, uh, yeah. yeah, Jeep was uh, was on the podcast. Uh, it will al- already be released by the time you guys listen to this one. So I'll put a link somewhere here on the, on the YouTube if you want to listen to the one with Jeep. Uh, there'll be a link popping up now. But she introduced us, so thank you to her. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming down. No problem. All the way from Crawley. Yeah, all the way from Crawley. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for coming in, and um, yeah, maybe maybe if we can start off with a with a, a little bit of your history, so how you how you got into martial arts first of all. Uh, that's quite simple. Uh, it was a classic case of my dad doing martial arts, and his his old school friend was was running a, a kung fu class. So my dad uh, dragged me down there. He used to drag me to demos and all sorts of things. And I, uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't overly interested. Um, and then when I got to class, it was really, really tough back then. It was like we used to do a three-hour class on Friday, and it was I was around Labbert Grove, and he'd hired this hall because he was a member of BT British Telecom, and basically ran a class, a cheap class, and it was sort of around the sort of early 70s sort of thing so it was like there's a lot of black guys really really into martial arts so the class was very much many black guys there really and my trainer and, and my dad just go there and it was very traditional martial arts uh it was uh um i mean with meditation qigong uh all the 18 standard forms 18 standard weapons so it's, it was shaolin five ancestors which is a, a southern uh, art form, but we still did kicking and stuff because I believe that my trainer, uh, my grandmaster, did um, a lot of taekwondo as well. That's where he met my dad. They both did taekwondo. So I just did it because I was more or less forced to do it, really, you know. And I think the foresight is my dad probably thought, you know, um, you're a minority, you know, maybe you should learn something, blah, 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 that sort of stuff, self defense. And as a form of discipline, I think, was, was the main thing. So I used to go there every Friday for three hours, and I used to come back just completely battered. And uh, if I had to go through that training now, it would be really, really difficult. It was so difficult. And then I used to go, my dad started getting my um, uh, friends of ours, their sons, used to come down, just get them out, stuff like that. And uh, I became quite good at it. I became quite good at learning things and stuff like that and um the sparring back then was um we didn't have head guards we didn't have full-size gloves we just this little i don't know just like a little bit of cushioning on your, <laughs> on your knuckles really and people you really used to get hammered in sparring but not not hammered to the point where people get knocked out too much stuff like that but it was contact uh, but people fought to semi-con but it was more almost like full contact but I believe that the guys back then, they were very skilled, so they could either touch you or really hurt you, depends. But as a kid, we used to f- have to fight all the adults. And I remember that at the end of the session, they used to line up. And I remember thinking, you know, which one is going to give me the less beating? And I would go there, and then you'd have to move along, like four or five people. And back then, they were all pretty good, you know what I mean? They were all really good. And uh, I think also... Um, Kids were treated differently then. We were a little bit more robust and stuff like that. And there wasn't as much health and safety. So, you know, they uh, uh, they really didn't hold back a lot. 
you know. Um, and then sort of around sort of maybe 14, I went to my first tournament, uh, internal tournament. I didn't even really know until I was on the way in the coach. And they said, oh, by the way, you're, you're going to be doing this tournament. I was like, what? <laughs> so it involved doing a couple of forms and, and aspiring and stuff like that. And I... I won. I became outstanding champion. And funny enough, I came fourth in the fighting. I lost because uh, we had this bit where we were fighting, and when it was a draw, it was like a dead heat. So whoever hit who first would win, sort of thing. Um, and then I came. I continued training. Then at seventeen years old, I came back and fought tournaments again. And I came second in the weapons with the broadsword. And uh, I did quite well with the sparring. I got up to about the, the quarterfinals. Uh, I was sparring adults, really. I was 17. I was sparring guys who were 30 years old. And um, then after that, I started going to uh, college and stuff like that and meeting other people and wanting to go out. And uh, I think by that time, I was given the choice, do you want to do martial arts or not? And I sort of thought, mm, I'm not really sure we want to do this. So I did a good, like, you know, 10 years of it before I stepped out for a little while, you know. Um, but I think I think that's that's quite often the case if you if you train when you're really young, you know, yeah. as a kid, because you do, you know, when you hit that kind of uh, yeah, seven, probably sixteen, seventeen. I mean, I'm, I I I I actually started doing kung fu. I think when I was seventeen, so I already was kind of established with a group of friends going out to the pub, right. getting drunk on the weekend or whatever. So I, I actually could fit that in quite nicely. So I trained I trained a lot from probably like 17 to about 25, 26, something like that. And I and 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 that was okay. But I think if you've if you sort of do it as a kid and then suddenly, you know, you were training maybe like three, four times a week and sure. go to bed early. And then, you know, when you're not training, you're at home like doing stuff in the mirror or conditioning your hands in bowls of rice or something. And then suddenly your mates are going to the pub. It's like, I think I want to try the pub. Like, you know, the, yeah, the bowls yeah. of rice are going to still be here when I get back, right? Yeah, you just want to be normal like everyone else. Yeah. You want to play football, you want to do whatever, you know, that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know? So, so did you did you stop training altogether for a period? I did. Yes, I stopped. Well, uh, funny enough, uh, the owner's son, um, when I was training there, he took me to uh, there's a boxing gym just down the road, and he took me in there, and he was showing me how to do a little bit of weights, and I was like, "What is this? Like, you know, this is you know," but I, you know, we did a little bit of something before we went to class, and I felt. You know, like the pump. You know, I was like, I thought, this was absolutely great. Uh, didn't didn't fare well in the movement aspect, but um, I had a little taste of that. And then when I got to college, uh, doing sixth form A level sort of thing, I wasn't really doing any 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 training of sorts. And then I started going to the gym, and uh, I started going to the gym because I met a bodybuilder. I'd, I'd met a bodybuilder, and he was enormous. And I was like, wow. Like, you know, his physique and all this sort of stuff. And, and back then, bodybuilders were like were like freaks. Yeah. It was like almost the Joe Weider, Arnold Schwarzenegger time. It was very, it was a niche thing. No one was really interested. Now everyone is into their bodies and they're well scored. But back then, no one was like, I don't care about that stuff. Yeah, it's like if you go back and watch like normal movies mm. from that era... So you'd have, say, like Charles Bronson or Clint Eastwood. Yes. Those, they were the tough guys. Yes. And then you go back and look at those movies and you're like, 
They don't look like they even work out. <laughs> they look like the training was a cigarette and, yeah, a, and yeah, a beer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I, I, I remember just asking this guy, I said, how, how do you, you know, how do you go about training? And he was like, oh, he just immediately got a pen and paper out. And he said, you want to do this, this and this? And he, I went to a swimming bath gym, which only had machines, you know, the multi-gym and a few other things, cables, stuff like that. So I just did that. And the routine he gave me, he said, look, you want to train every other day, but you've got to do all body workout. And it was like five sets of this, five sets of that. And it was just like, and it used to kill me. I was like, it used to take me a good hour and a half, two hours to get through it. And I used to train every other day after school. And uh, I got really strong. And at some stage, you could lift all the weights on the machines and stuff. Like that. And I was making good progress. And then the next step was to try free weights. There weren't, you. no one was doing free weights then. There was no gyms doing it. And then I came across a couple of people and they showed me this, uh, like a bodybuilder's gym, but it was a real spit and sawdust gym. It was in um, Southall and it was behind this hedge. You couldn't even find it. And it was a shed, basically. It was a shed. Probably, I would say not more than, a little bit more than twice the size of this room right now. And I went in there and it was just, there were just pictures of bodybuilders everywhere and, and, and page three and stuff like that. Really, I was getting stunk. It was horrible. And all the free weights, some of the weights didn't even have numbers on them. They were just bits of iron. And the cable machine, you have to disconnect it and put it on there. And it was really old school. It was like one bench, one squat rack and enough to do things. And the guys, I remember going outside and waiting and um, it wouldn't open till the evening because whoever was running it had to finish work and the window was, training was five to nine. So, and there were these massive guys just standing outside there. I was like, what am I doing here? And I was just a small guy and that lot. And I just kept quiet and that lot. And then I started doing training there and I learned about free weights, the balance, stuff like that. And started doing a sort of push-pull sort of, uh, workout which most people did so you do your body over two days um and then you have a uh, uh, push and pull and then you have a wednesday off then two more days and then a weekend off but it was very basic we were doing really basic basic stuff you know just the bench the squats but we were doing a lot of heavy weight you know um admittedly there was a lot of guys on steroids there no doubt and I'm pretty sure that the coaches were supplying and stuff like that and what have you. I was all, you know, just, just interested in training. I was really muscle fitness and stuff like that. And flex. And, yeah, flex. That's the one. Flex. My God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm just thinking about these guys. Now, I never knew anything about stories. I thought, oh, because they were all on gear. But I never, I never thought they were. Yeah, you just thought it was the protein just, powder, right? Yeah, I just and thought it was the protein. multivitamin pack, that was yeah, enough. I just thought that was enough. And even then... <laughs> The protein powders were so hard to find. And it was disgusting. Joe Weeder. And disgusting. They were, they were almost inedible. Do you, do you remember? I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the first um, the Weeder, they, they bought out this uh, chocolate one in the can. It was the first like ready mixed one. Yes, Man, it tasted like just ass. It was so bad. I remember getting it from, I don't know whether in those days it was like uh, Holland and Barrow. Yeah, there a health was, shop. Yeah. yeah, there was one in North Finchley. And my friend used to have, uh, he had like a loft conversion in his parents' house. So he had like a big room and he had a bench and weights and stuff. So we used to go there to train. And I used to get off the bus at North Finchley, go and get like my weeder protein drink. And it was 
vile. I think a lot of it as well back then, um, the protein shakes were sort of uh, powder egg based. Yeah. And they weren't very sophisticated, not as far as taste, not as far as anything. In fact, I even made my own ones from a recipe. It was just a thing. And, and basically what it was is half a pint of milk, uh, skimmed or whole, whole better because it puts on more weight, uh, a block of ice cream, uh, three egg whites, and some nutmeg if you get hold of it. And you mixed it up and drank it. And obviously it's quite hard to digest the eggs as well. So it was pretty disgusting, I've got to admit. And then after that I found amino acids and that was like the Porsche of supplements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I can't remember, I had, I had some, I've had a few guys on who were talking about training. I think it might have been my friend Marcel who was a like a sort of semi-pro body, mm. natural bodybuilder. Um, and I think it was him who was saying that he, he, had a, he had a short spell where he was doing orange juice and tuna in the blender oh, protein drink and God. i was like <laughs> i think his mum said to him no you can't you can't blend that in my blender no, i'm not having it so yeah the ice cream and the egg white sounds a lot better yeah 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 but i mean in those days it wasn't you know there was there was not a big selection of stuff right wider no. was like the only company pretty much only one. yes yes you know because yeah. both those magazines were wider yes all the all the Big competitions where he was sponsoring them, so uh, yeah, it was uh, it was you know you buy their stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That was good times though back then. So those all those I went to a few of those sort of spit and sawdust gyms. We used to seek them out, and none of them were really legit because they'd never. When you walked in, there was there wasn't like uh, how do you say uh, an induction where they showed you around. You just pay three pounds fifty and go. And if you hurt yourself or something, that's up to you. Because it was no four pounds fifty if you hurt yourself. <laughs> yeah, there was nothing. You know, it, I mean, I don't even know where half the equipment was was really safe. Some of it, or the building was safe. Sometimes just a little throw up sort of thing. And it was very old school. All the guys there were quite tough and all that sort of stuff. So it was, but it had a magic about it because when you went there, you, these people trained so hard that you it just brushed off onto you. You know what I mean? It was so hardcore. Um, I think it was like that as well with like martial arts clubs back in the day from from talking to from having jiu-jitsu guys on who are 20 years mm. in same thing the original yeah. kind of jiu-jitsu sessions were not like they are now yeah it was just yeah. you know a lot of tough guys in then they kind of want to have a tear up and you know okay these are this is the rule set and then you have a tear up and I think probably with the, with the gyms, it was kind of the same thing. Just guys that want to just pick up. Heavy oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, heavy yeah. metal, get strong. No, no, definitely. Yeah. It was it was all about that. It wasn't geared to fitness as much. It was just to see how big you could get and how strong you could get. Yeah, it's like um, are you do you know uh, who Louis Simmons is, the powerlifter, the American guy? He's yes, he died yes, recently. Yes, yes, I think yes, he died yes, last year. Yeah, yeah. So I think that I forget the the name of the gym, but they that was. I think for of many years it was the strongest gym in the world in terms of the right. number of world record, right. you know, guys in that gym. This squat and that bench and this total and whatever. But I remember listening to him on Rogan, and him just, you know, it was it was so singularly focused on just being strong, you know, because Rogan was asking him about the. Um, Benching, you know, they, they have those bench vests yep. that kind of help keep you in place. He's yep. like, of course I use it. I can lift more. Yeah, he's yeah. like, yeah, but don't you want to know what you can do raw? And he's like, no. 
Yeah. I can lift more when I wear it. I'm wearing it. Same with a squat suit. I can squat more when I wear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just want to lift more weights. He um he tore his whole bicep off of one arm. Oh my God. And um, he went to see the doctor and they said, you know, we can do surgery, this and that. And he said, I, I just like went and thought about like, what, what am I interested in? Deadlift, squat and bench press. Does it affect any of those? No. He said, I didn't even bother getting it repaired. Wow. I don't need a bicep on that arm. Wow. Because I just want to deadlift, squat and bench press. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's, there's, was that kind of mentality, right? It was. Just in there so. to pick up metal. Yeah. Yeah. So how long did you how long did you kind of seriously train? Well, uh, probably. And did you get did you get big? How heavy did I, you get? I, I, I got about a stone heavier and, and uh, got up to about twelve stone, which was quite a lot for me back then. Uh, and I was eating everything under the sun, you know. Every, every, I was doing that whole eat five meals a day sort of thing. Did you Did you wake up in the night? Did you do it? No, else? I didn't do that. I had sort of like you know like sandwiches in between lunch, which I didn't want to eat and stuff like that. Just force feeding myself and two protein shakes, like one in the morning, one at night, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and and that was it, really. That that was the kind of thing, just to eat as much as I could. Uh, and on the weekends, I used to go with my friends and we go raving and stuff like that, whatever. And we just eat shit. We just eat like hamburgers, Und anything, undo just all the work, just to get bigger. Just hamburgers. Oh, I could you're young. Yeah, yeah. You, you you burn it off. You don't care about yeah. being ripped. You cardio is a complete. Cardio is what? Cardio is what? <laughs> like cardio. For old people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I did that for a little while, and I think the change came when um, I started doing like uh, door security, and realised well. You know, I got it because I was I was bigger anyway. Because people said, "Do you want a job and stuff like that?" And I did. But I realised that now it's a different world. You know, it was it was going to be more fighting aspects, stuff like that. So that was a turning point when I went back to combat sports. And funny enough, I took ages shedding the weight. I just went back to my normal martial arts routine and did it by myself and trained my kicks, my basic stuff like that before I went back to martial arts because I knew if I went back in that condition I'd get tuned up um and also I, I learned a bit of uh I started doing a bit of boxing because it was my passion uh martial arts was my thing but I was well, I watched a lot of boxing I watched um things like uh you know uh uh the, the middleweights Thomas Hearns and all those people Hagler. Hit Hearns, the Hagler. and Hagler was my guy he was the first boxer I saw and I thought that is how boxers should be. You know, the bald head, the south point out a lot. And I remember watching him beat Hearns and thinking, wow, that was that was great. Because Hearns, he was great, but he was a bit of the, the bad guy sort of thing. Those so, fights were crazy. Yeah, they were crazy. They were like, you know, you those guys fought 15 rounds. It was just, it was crazy, you know. And then after that, even, I think it was middleweight as well, was like the Ben and Eubanks. That's right, Ben and Eubanks. So that, yeah. that, that division was just like... The, that era is untouched, that, that, the golden era, they call it, it was. you know. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. And, and also, I, I was talking about this with someone the other, the other week, was because there was no internet, there yeah. was no, oh, I'm going to stream it later. Or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. It was like everyone had it on at the same time. Yes. Or you go to the pub yeah, yeah, and yeah. watch it and, you know, 400 people in there with a beer just like yeah, watching yeah, yeah. these fights. Yeah, it was, it was cool. If you're young and listening to this, you have no clue <laughs> what we're even talking about. But yeah, you know, you'd get there at seven, try and get a seat somewhere near yeah. the front, get a couple of drinks. Yeah, 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 good days. So so boxing? Yeah, so I, I kind of, um, uh, where'd I go? I, I, 
I went somewhere and my friend said, you know, this this guy's doing a little boxing class. And it was it was unlicensed, you know, it's just a hall. And he was a karate guy. And I, th- I believe he used to do a karate class first and then used to supervise a boxing class after. But it was it was one of those classes where you paid again a couple of quid and you, you know, did a couple of rounds of skipping, pad work, a bit of technique, a bit of sparring. But it was anyone could walk in. Anyone could walk in. So we had all these rugby players and all these... And so you'd end up fighting people who were just never in your weight class. And it was good fun. It was it was the introduction of of moving and good fun. And it it never used to get really out of hand because no one had head guards, but gumshows, obviously. Uh, and then I moved on and, and went to one or two boxing clubs after that. Um, but it became a passion of mine. And, and that is what brought me back into martial arts. So when I went back into martial arts, I had some boxing skills. Which, so. which actually is, I mean, I, I, I felt very much from my Kung Fu experience that that boxing handwork range is very underutilized and under-skilled. Yeah. Um, you know, because the as was probably a bit like yours, was um, Southern kind of style Kung mm-hmm. Fu, but the guys had done a lot of Taekwondo. Yeah. So we had all the kind of yeah, high yeah. kicking as well combined with the, the handwork. But but that kind of just kind of arm's length range yeah. of slipping and ducking yeah. punches and putting combinations together, we didn't really have. I mean, even when we, with, with the sparring that we did, there was no head punches. Right, They sure. could punch to the body, could kick to the head. So that was that was very kind of under, under-trained. And, and I think... Um, on a traditional martial arts side, boxing is probably a really, if you want to be effective at it, boxing is probably a really good thing to supplement your your martial art with. Absolutely. Because it just adds that that extra kind of range. And and I think the thing with boxing, I mean, I've, I've never boxed, but I think the, the thing with boxing as well is it's it, because it's more of a sport mm. than an art, it's, it's very pragmatic. Yes. So this is how you hurt someone. Yes. This is how you put someone yes. down. This is how you, yeah. you prevent getting hurt. Rather than this style of this goes with that style of that and this hand movement does never do it with that hammer. It's just like, no, no, this is how you club someone so they don't get up. So it's it's, it's a different focus, I think, to, to traditional It's, it's a very arts. sort of... It's, a, it's quite an easy thing to pick up in the sense that it's not that complicated on what you're doing... But to get good at it is hard. And what you do realise is that when you do martial arts, because you've got the kicking range and stuff like that, the ranges are different. Yes. Um, but when I went to boxing, you immediately are in full contact sparring and you learn to take a punch much, much more than you do in martial arts. You, see what I mean? you learn to get hit a lot more. That's, that's the thing. More give and take, definitely. Mm. And... Uh, I had never really fought in a ring as such. So you learn ring craft as well. And also a lot of martial arts, depending on what one you do, it's very upright. The torso doesn't move a lot because you're blocking a lot. You're not slipping as much and stuff like that. Um, so it was a different kind of thing. So it was less, it was more movement. There's more choices to make with your body. Uh and that I believe obviously is because you're just punching and so if you if you go to duck and stuff like that, if someone kicks you or knees you, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it was definitely a, a an, an eye opener for me. And I think that any martial artist who's been in martial arts should go to boxing and feel 
just feel what it's like. Uh, because obviously you, you're limited with the amount of weapons you have. Uh, the gloves will limit you to what you can do as well. And it, it really, um, it's very rudimentary is what it is. And you can build a lot from that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, that was the one thing that I, I always felt for myself that was missing from my Kung Fu training was the, like, realistic combat. Mm. Because I never, I, you know, I've, I've talked about this a lot, that it, I, I felt that it was, everything was always constrained in a way that you don't, I don't really know if this would work. Yeah. You can't kick someone full power yeah. in the face. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I going to go backwards? Is he going to go backwards? Am I going to miss? Is he going to get my other leg? Like, you kind of never really knew. And I think I think boxing, you know, boxing, Thai boxing, um, kickboxing, you know, because they are sport much more. They they, they are there is more realism there because yeah. you're literally just trying to incapacitate the other guy. You yeah. win, right? If I, yeah. if you can't get up again, I won. Yeah, if I exactly. can't get up again, you won. Yeah. Right, maybe it goes to points or a judge or whatever. But you know, they 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 have a more finite ending, which is one of the things that I love about jujitsu, is that when we roll, if you tap me. There's no, ah, oh, bro, I wasn't doing it. No, yeah. like you got my arm, yeah. I didn't defend it. That's it. It's I very lost. true, yeah. You won. You know, it gives you, it gives you a, a definitive answer. So, so you, you, um, was it off of kind of that, that return to boxing and martial arts? You started like a little kind of fight. Is it, was it called R something? Oh, we had a, uh, I had a, f we, I was a member of a fight, well, we constructed a, a fight crew called RX3. And that came off the back of um, uh, some film work, funny enough. Uh, it was, I went to audition for Batman Begins. I So how, how, did, how did that happen? How did you go, how did you hear, was that, that was your first kind of mo movie experience? Martial no, um, what happened is, uh, <laughs> so I was in a lot of extra work. I was with an agency called Oriental Casting. Um, the woman who ran it, uh, was quite established. How old were you at the time? I was probably about in my teens, maybe okay. late late teens, maybe late teens sort of thing. You know, late teens. So, so this was this sort of around the time when you were just getting back into doing martial arts, or even before that? It was even before that, actually. Right. It was right, even right. before that. So the extras work was just literally extras. Yeah, it was just like, backgrounds, yeah, yeah, uh, okay. support work, and stuff like that. You know, um, and. Whenever they needed Orientals, my mum would, well, this woman would call my mum and say, hey, we need these, we need Orientals. So my mum would tell all her people and that lot and, you know, that kind of thing. And it was, when you when I'd go on set, it was like loads of people I knew, sort of family, friends, stuff like that. And uh, a lot of it was just sitting about or running about sometimes. Uh, I did, however, do one job, which was uh, for a very low-budget martial arts movie called Sour Sweet. And it was... Um, the people in, in this movie were martial artists, but they were real martial artists. And they were old school martial artists from around Chinatown. So they were all sort of like Austin go around the Wing Chun thing and so on and so on. And my dad knew all these people. And they were sort of the people you went to if you wanted to learn martial arts back then, Chinese martial arts. And yes, there was a bit of that sort of slight triad influence around Chinatown. So someone were involved with that and stuff like that. But, you know people wanted to learn from Chinese so they, they would go to these guys and so all these guys were called on to set and stuff like that and um, I had to do a scene in a restaurant and I was playing a waiter 
and there was going to be this drive-by where there was going to be this car was going to shoot up the restaurant and they put all these explosive charges around the room like like a machine gun thing and they said look you're you're going to get shot and i was like what i was like okay and um they squibbed me up they put squibs on me and back then the squibs had wires and that lot and so there'd be a guy hiding behind the settee like pressing the button to make the squibs and the director was really cool because he, he didn't really say, oh, like, you're going to do a stunt. He just said, look, you know, you're just going to get shot. You're just going to react to this and you're going to do that. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, we'd done the take and the squids were pum pum like that. And it was the weirdest thing because they actually go off and it tore the shirt. So they actually are quite, they have some impact. And then he said, right, we're going to do a close-up of you. And this shows how green I was. We're going to do a close-up of you and we need some blood coming out your mouth. So we're going to give you this tiny bit of glass to chew on. Would you mind doing that? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he goes, no, 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 we're going to give you some some fake blood, don't worry. And I was like, oh, my God, like that, you know. So actually, that was my first taste of some sort of stunt work. And then, like, you know, I did more extra work and more extra work. But I wasn't really interested in films because when you watch films, you see the complete uh, thing and you think, oh, right, that's good. No, no. But the behind-the-scenes thing, it's like watching paint dry and the lower you are down the food chain on a film set the more waiting you will do the stars will come they'll be shifting in they'll do that bit and they'll go but everyone else has to stay on for i believe was about 10 hours minimum for the day it could go into 14 hours i mean you get food and everything but you're just waiting and waiting and waiting and then you're doing this big scene where you just repeat the same thing the same thing so i was a bit like mm, i'm not really sure about this i love movies but just didn't like the work. Yeah. Um, and then I got this casting for Batman Begins. And my, you know, my agent was like, this is perfect for you. You need to do this. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I, so I went along. And there were all these other guys, like 40 guys. And they'd all made, made the audition. They'd all sort of, you know, qualified. And they were supposed to be some of the best in the country. So there was MMA guys. There was trickers. There was grapplers there was wushu guys and it was like wow i didn't know all these people were here and uh we were shadow warriors in the league of you know, uh, was it league of league of shadows league of shadows yeah so we were playing the ninjas and we learned this like form with this sword and we just kept doing it over again and again and again and obviously we were practicing with each other so i was learning something from someone else learning something else, filming a few little fight scenes on our phones, stuff like that. And what happened was, is that we realized that we, they were just buying time. We were just doing this, this sort of thing. And then they came along one day and they said, the stunt guys came along and they watched us. They said, we need to, if you can come in with your weapons next tomorrow and show us what you got. And I thought, oh, that's really weird. I'm like, you know, so I didn't bother. I thought, no, I'm not going to bother. And those who did show the stuntmen, the staff, had to go off with them. But they had to teach the stuntmen. So it was like, oh, you learn all this stuff and you're just going to go and teach those guys for, it was an extra hundred quid or whatever it was. And I was like, that's really unfair. I'm not really cool with that. And we were getting paid an okay amount of money, but not, not enough. And so I decided, let's form a crew. And then that way, if there's more of us, we can say how much we want to uh, get paid. I thought it was a real rip-off. And at first it started about 10 guys. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're all around the country. And it was like, 
it wasn't realistically going to happen. And it ended up with just three of us who lived around the area, the same area. And uh, we got a, video, a DV camera. I put it on a tripod. And I remember putting it on a tripod. And we were still sort of buzzing off the film, thinking, oh, we could do this. You could make our movies or do something. And I remember my, it was so basic that my friend, I think, he he went to punch me and I blocked him and I kicked him and that was it. And we were like, we looked at it on a video and we're like, oh my God, that's great, it was crap. But we were looking at it and we were so overwhelmed by it. I was like, oh my God, we've actually done it. And then I start, I bought a, uh, a uh, wide-angle lens and the other guy who I knew, who was in our crew, he was into directing and he directed short movies. So he knew how to edit in that lot. And that was it. We, we started doing stuff, filming fights on DV, transferring them to videotape, and I used to watch it. Then we had a website, and we started getting a bit of work. Have you still got some of those old videos? I do. They're still on YouTube flying around Are they still somewhere. on YouTube? Yeah, they so are. if you send me a link, I I'll, will I'll put yeah, a link yeah, in the yeah. show notes. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see them. But we used to be, it was so good, because we were so keen. Uh, I mean, we were all different, doing different jobs. My friend was working in a video shop. I was doing nights on the doors and someone else was doing something else. So it was just a part-time thing. And on the weekends, we we just used to just smash each other to pieces. We, we, didn't have any, we didn't have any pads or anything. And we filmed fights and they got longer and more complex. And then we started playing like characters. So one day, someone got to turn out and go, right, you're going to be a boxer and he's going to be like a karate guy. You're doing that style. And then other people started coming down and started hearing about us. And we started getting vehicles involved and we we used to train in car parts long before uh security the terrorism thing came we we just filmed everywhere you know and it was great you know uh and it, we used to look forward to it every weekend and we weren't really doing it for any money and then of course we had a website we started getting small jobs you know um like for pop videos or this and that and they were never very well paid but we were we were living it. We were we were doing it, and my friend was like, "Oh, we need to make some short because he was in directing." So we started making a few short movies, uh, preparing to try and make a feature, which was very ambitious because we didn't know anyone, we didn't know anything, but we trusted this guy who's into directing, and uh, it all led off from there really. And through that, uh, a few stunt coordinators that I knew. They knew us and started seeing our stuff. And they said, how do you feel about coming on to a set and working with stunt guys and doing some fighting? So that's how I got into that world. So were you, initially when you were when you were going on to the set, were you teaching the stunt guys how to fight then? Or they were actually saying, no, you, you, we've got a part for you in a movie? Um, some t- once or twice I would have to teach people, not necessarily stunt guys, um, maybe some actors. I taught Nigel Havers, a few people, stuff like that. Um, but we would, we'd be fighting with them. So um, in, in, in certain scenes, we'd be fighting, stuff like that. Quite basic stuff, that lot. But um, that's that was my in for that world. And so we were brought in as specialists, so to speak. you know. And as a result of that, I learned how to do falls, how to do reactions. So it started expanding more. And I started seeing how professional things were and stuff like that, you know. Um, yeah, and it's and it's. I mean, like like we were talking very briefly about. It's completely different 
uh, fighting on camera to to proper fighting. Yes, it's, it's a totally different sort of skill set, right? Yeah, you're like you were saying, you're you're acting, yeah, as physical acting. Yeah, I, th I think one of the one of the one of the kind of um, things that springs to mind. I don't know whether you're a, a fan of the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah, yeah. That you know the the guy who played Gollum. Yes, they cast. Yes. Uh, I, f I forget his name, but they they cast him because he was a very physical actor. Yes, yes. And he he played all of those movements, and then they just CGI'd over the top of it. And I kind of I kind of get the feeling, you know, with the fight stuff from from the way you were explaining it, that it's a similar kind of thing. You're you're just physically portraying the character, the scene, the you know what what's going on. So how how was that? How did that kind of Develop for you? Like, had you guys already kind of figured that out through through ma making your little short films? And, and I think because um, we'd watched a lot of the Hong Kong movies, the 90s sort of Jet Li and all these people. So we were really driven by those things, uh, Bruce Lee and all those sorts of things. So we were learning from them. So did you, did you have like scenes that you were like, let's replicate that? This one where he walks in and a kick comes from here? Or did you, were you just like using that style um we didn't replicate scenes as such um but we kind of sort of um would would watch films and see how they did things and thought oh that looks great or that style looks great or or how they could do that kick and stuff like that and so we take influence on those sorts of things um because also the movies were changing at the time so we'd had all the 80s action movies, the Van Damme, all that stuff. And just when we started doing it, all Jet Li and all these people, and we were like, oh my God, what is this? This was completely different. The Wushu and everything was filmed differently and it had a bit more... Because uh, I think some of the old choreography was very do, do, do. The, the beat was quite, yeah. um, how do you say, as uh, uh, it was it was quite... Um, Samey, you know what Me I mean? Metronomic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very much. You know, it's weird. It's a bit like if you go back and listen to old hip-hop tunes that you remember and then you listen to them again, you're like, wow, this is like really basic. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like that, you know, it's really kind of simple stuff. Even the 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 cadence of the lyrics and everything is just... Yeah, da, 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 da. Exactly. Yeah, it's... it's, it's um, and, and I think you... I think because you see those movies when you're a kid and they're completely different in your mind as a child, right? You're just like, oh, it's amazing, Spider-Man, Hulk, whatever, mm. Zorro. But when you go back and see some of those movies, they're, they're, it's not, not that they're disappointing, but they're not how you remember them. No, I think the tempo was very much fixed. Whereas you watch modern day fighting now, the tempo, do, 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 it's all over the place. And it has, it has light and shade. Yes. Um, but one thing I will say about the old movies, especially the old Kung Fu movies, the Kung Fu used to go for ages. It'd be like a 30-move thing. And yeah. you'd think, how do they remember all this stuff? And how do they keep the the energy up? Because now, through through editing and through camera angles, they can emphasize a lot more drama. Mm. So it's got a lot more impact. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I think those those sort of more old-school guys 
were kind of martial artists, yeah, right? they were, and yeah, they, less, and of they the actors. less filmed them, yes, you know. So, they if you tell them, okay, it's a fight, and this they can do it because yeah. they're used to fighting for yes. a two, three, four minute round, yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess it's a different they're kind of approaching because those old movies was like this is about kung fu, yeah, and then what's the story? I don't know, some guy with a beard and <laughs> something with matter. eggs or whatever, but yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's just fighting a lot of fighting. Whereas now it's it, you know kind of becomes the opposite. It's yeah. more about the story and the characters and the the Marvel universe and how it fits with. Da, 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 da. And then the fighting is just a part of the yeah. the action. Funny enough, um, we were sort of talking about this before I uh, spoke with someone. And back in the days, the Hong Kong movies, the actors who were in the Hong Kong movies, like Michelle Yao and all those people, they really had to. They had to She's perform. Awesome. They had to perform. Acting came secondary, and actors were expected to get hurt. They were expected to, you know, not obviously not do the crazy stunts, but they were getting, you know, tuned up a little bit. Mm. Definitely, it was a lot more dangerous for them. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you can you can kind of see when you when you watch those older movies that a lot of it is it's not as clean as it is now mm. you can see sometimes you know some some strikes kind of miss land but it's like well you know that that was the if you're trying to do 30 moves that was the best take yeah 20 of them landed 10 of them were close enough that 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 will do so you can kind of see the realism was there more yeah because it yeah. just we just go let's go 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 yeah that was just, that was just a style back then yeah, yeah. I mean, I I remember when I saw um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden mm. Dragon. You know, I think that was maybe a lot of Western audiences' first experience of yeah. that style of of movie. Like, if you weren't into your Hong Kong yes. kung fu movies, you you never seen that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, that was. And 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 I think I'm right in saying the guy who played the main character he wasn't a martial artist no no uh chai yun fat chai yun yes. fat is, is he's an actor he's a he's an action star right but, yeah he, but he's not, not a not a not a not even artist. really even i mean even if you people see him as an action star but actually he's just an actor but he right. got into action movies because he did the uh john woo john woo movies he was the first one to do the flying guns and all that sort of yes, stuff that's you know right. Because that's a John Woo star, and as an actor, he just had to do that. Yes, I don't think he was like planning to action stuff. I think he just Became, had to do it. Yeah. Um, so he was definitely a pioneer in that style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because the the other the other kind of uh, nice story that I heard around that kind of analogy to that is in the Last Samurai, the guy who plays the main um, samurai. He he didn't speak any English, mm. so he he just learned the lines by sound. Like oh, okay. he literally didn't understand the the English. They just said to him, "Okay, you just learn." Like you have told me your name. I've told that's a good conversation. But he he just learned the sounds. He did, didn't didn't know any English at all. I guess it's the same kind of thing. You know, you're an actor doing a martial arts movie. You you don't really you know he probably hasn't punched or kicked a lot yeah. of people for real. But he's like, okay, I've just got to learn the, the flow, right? I do yeah, this, it I just do that, has to look like it's happening, yeah. you know. Yeah, which um, is the magic of, of movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nowadays, I think it's the opposite way around. I think if you're going to be doing action as an actor, more importantly, first of all, 
be able to act. The martial arts, because of the way the film techniques are better, the knowledge of martial arts is better. So you can train these actors in a couple of months and they can be quite good. N not, not good enough to fight in the ring, but good enough to look convincing. Yeah. So I, uh, but I think that people, because they have the internet and seen all these things, it has to look authentic. So this is why the acting comes first, because it has to look on their face is, is important, that they can carry it, that they really believe that they're in that scene sort of thing. Mm. Um, so I think that, that it's, it's reversed now. It's, it's more about do people believe it because they've seen all their moves, but they want to see whether the actor believes he can do it, you know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, you know, there, there's, there's, there's two things I think that inform that as well. One is that because of the internet and social media, there's so much exposure to martial arts. Even if you're a non-martial artist, you know what it looks like now. Yes. Because you yeah. see it here, yeah. there and everywhere, you know. So you, you, you kind of have that, it washes over you what yeah. a punch looks like and a kick and a exactly. distancing yeah, and everything. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, may, maybe you'll know better than me, but with, with higher resolution cameras and smaller cameras and being able to shoot with more cameras and have them on more gadgets and you can, you can kind of get much closer to the action like there's there's yes. less room for the actor to be just kind of phoning it in because yeah. every detail is there you know and the screen is four times bigger than it used to be even at home you yeah. know people are watching on a 60 inch tv 4k now yeah where they used yeah. to be watching on a 28 on yeah. a videotape from blockbuster that's been played 800 that's times right. and there's a bit kind of you, you couldn't really see whether the guy really believed that he's getting punched or not yeah. right he just they put a purple bruise yeah, he got punched. Whereas now, you know, if, if there's any kind of hesitation with it, you can see it. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I actually don't really like watching movies on 4K and on high frame rates because they look, they don't look like movies anymore. Yeah, they don't have, they almost look like, uh, like, um, Soap operas or yeah, something. Yeah. The, the feel is weird. Yeah, yeah. I think the grade I think, is different. As I, as I understand it, it's because with with like movies originally, it's twenty four frames a second. Yes. Um, when they when they would shoot on 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 actual film, and then originally when they were shooting, started to shoot digital. I think they were shooting twenty five frames a second because. NTSC, which was the American standard, is 50 frames a second. So mm -hmm. they just said, okay, one frame every two NTSC frames. It was an easy translation. And I think for, for younger kids, they, they don't have the same um, experience. But for us being older, a movie looks a certain way yeah. because of that 24, 25 right, frames yeah, a second. Yeah. It's actually quite blurry. Yeah. When, when there's action, if you just stop it, there's a lot of blur. Mm. But that blur is what tells us you're watching a movie. Exactly. You're not watching yeah. EastEnders where yes. Grant Mitchell has a fight yeah, in the yeah, pub. Yeah. That could be whatever. It just looks like on a camcorder, right? Yeah. But a movie has that certain kind of organic feel to it. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, like things like 35 mil film and stuff like that. Yeah. You know? There's still a lot of big directors like um, uh, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. And I think um, people like that. I remember I remember listening to Steven Spielberg. I think talking about no uh, Tarantino, saying that um, my my production company will be the first production company where everyone's shooting digital, but I'll be the last director 
that's going to shoot digital. Right. Like when right. I shoot, I'm shooting on film. Right, sure, yeah, yeah. It's more efficient for these guys to shoot digital and cheaper. And yeah, yeah. I'm going to make them shoot on digital, but I'm going to shoot on film. Sure, yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, there's yeah. that. There's there's always that kind of um, that fight on movies, right? Between yeah. like like when I when I was making uh, short short movies uh, short films when I was a bit younger, you know, I was reading kind of the indie film books and this and that, you know, and I and I and I'm, I I always remember just just seeing this little thing that said uh, the director's job is to spend as much money as possible, and the producer's job is to spend as little money as possible. Yeah, it tends and to be then, the way. Yeah, and then, yeah, you know, they halfway meet somewhere yeah, in the yeah, middle. Because yeah. the director always, what well, can we have an aeroplane? Yeah, can we yeah, have sure, four helicopters? Sure, sure, and the sure, producer's yeah, like, no, yeah, can yeah. have a drone yeah, or yeah. a chair to stand on. Yeah. So, so one of the other things then that, that I wanted to ask you about was. Um, Doing sort of being on set and mm. doing long days, maybe they're ten or fourteen hour days mm. or, or whatever, was about like your physical preparation for for you know doing a day or what I don't know how long a shoot might be six weeks or six months or whatever. Depends. It, it can it can vary from a couple of days so to months. Depends. What does your what does your training look like when you're not shooting, and what does it look like when you're shooting, and and also like your nutrition and what. Sure. Food you would have on set, like how do you? Because because a lot of guys who listen to this are jujitsu guys, mm. and if you're competing, um, which a lot of guys compete often, you know they will obviously have non-comp training yes. and when they're building up yes. to compete. But a busy comp, you might be fighting for six hours because you might have three or four fights and then you might do absolutes, which is in the afternoon and whatever. I'm just interested how your kind of setup is. For, for when you're not shooting and when you are shooting and in terms of training and eating and, and rest and stuff and and how you kind of condition yourself to sit for eight hours doing nothing and then they go, right, it's go yeah. time. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that, there's definitely Action. the picture. Um, when I'm preparing uh, for film, most of the time we don't know what we're going to do, right? You might get a little bit of an idea, depending if you're doing something specific and that lot. But generally, you'll turn up now, uh, you know, you have a rehearsal, you know roughly what to do. Even then, if you've done a rehearsal, you get on set, it can all change. You have to be ready to adapt. That's the main thing, because everything that will go wrong on film will go wrong. You know, it, it seems like a slick machine, it isn't, because there's so many working parts in there that they have to be flexible. So things don't go to plan uh, a lot of the time. But in the off-season when, when I'm not working, uh, I tend to train, imagine myself being in a fight camp, really. So uh, if I come off a job, I'll normally give it a day or two and then go straight back into training because it's the best way to sort of keep the momentum going. And... I'll just train like I'm training for another fight. So normally what I'll do is I'll do... Uh, I was training six days a week and having one day off, but now I do sort of three days on and one day off because because I believe that by the end of the week, uh, although you do more days, you're fatigued from all those other days. So unless you're doing something technical and light, uh, those two days really uh, a bit of a waste of time, if you see what I mean. As much as you think more is better, it isn't, you know what I mean? So I would generally do, uh, like, I was doing two sessions a day, which was doing a technical day, a technical session, which involves 
kicking, punching, whatever, bag work, stuff like that. And then later on in the afternoon, I would do a strength session. Um, and my strength sessions revolve around things like explosive uh, workout, so jumping, plyometrics, stuff like that, uh, body weight stuff. Um, and then calisthenics, which again is is all the uh, body weight stuff and everything. I mean, I, I do gymnastics rings because I learned them during COVID and I was already doing bar stuff. And that's a personal thing for me. Uh, I like doing it and I, I, I it's my, my journey sort of thing. Uh, I, I have done less of the weight training, traditional weight training, because some of it is not beneficial in the sense that it might look good, but it might slow you down in movement and stuff like that. So you've got to be careful about what you're picking. And I'm at an age where things like deadlifts and squats, they go out the window now because they're, com they're compressing my spine and it's, do I need to lift that sort of stuff on set? I don't need to. Uh, so I generally do sort of more sort of body weight stuff is what I do. And I do try and structure it. So if one day I'm doing a lot of jumping, the next day I'll do more upper body and stuff like that. But I do uh, a lot of stuff on uh, feel as well. So I'll have a, a general game plan in my head. But because I get caught quite bored, quite uh, bored quite easily with training sometimes, I'll just change the format of what how I'm going to do it. So instead of doing more bag work, I might do more shadow stuff, uh, shadow uh, boxing. Uh, instead of uh, basic kicks, I might do more tricking kicks or whatever and stuff like that. So... Uh, I tend to go what feels good for me. Um, and then, obviously, when I get on set, it's harder to train because the days are longer. Now, either you can train in the morning, which is as soon as you get on set sort of thing, if you've got enough time, but that means like six in the morning or something, you're doing a bit of whatever. Or you can train when you get back, which is going to be quite hard. Um I used to train, try and fit in training sessions, but as I got older, I sort of realized that I actually need the rest time, you know what I mean? Because you've already had a full physical day of, of doing stunts or whatever, or just being on set, you know, uh, being alert makes you tired and all the drive and stuff like that. So sometimes you don't need that extra training, you know, because um, you've done all the hard training before. So I, I don't tend to train as much when I'm on set and stuff like that because... Uh, uh, you're generally doing lots of things and stuff like that. Uh, when you get some downtime, yeah, if you're if you're in a in a sort of like a, a training room, a stunt room, they'll have stuff there. You can pick up things and do things, stuff like that. But what you don't want to do is be knackered for the job. So it's a fine line. Yeah. You know? um, Nutrition-wise, I'm quite lucky. My metabolism's been pretty quick. And I just eat, try and eat as clean as possible, just normal, you know, veg and two, you know, bit of meat, bit of veg, bit of carbohydrates. I don't restrict myself from anything, uh, even bits of cake and stuff like that. My theory is I prefer to train harder than diet. I don't like the word diet because it means omitting something, not eating something. Now, everyone has their own thing. They don't eat bread, they don't this, they don't that. I think that moderation is a good thing in anything. Yeah. You know. And so what about um, food intake when you're on set? Because again, I mean, the same mm. way you don't want to have like a heavy workout and then they yeah. say, right, we're, yeah. we're shooting. Same with a, like a big meal, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't want to have like a big lunch and then, then you're jumping well, around. Well, 
where you know they're quite good on set they normally especially with a big budget set normally you know you normally fed every four hours sort of thing there's always like uh, a craft van you can go to get snacks and, and do this and you'll have you know the dinners are good the breakfasts are good and stuff like that uh how much you eat and what you eat depends entirely on you so let's say if you're going to be on wine you're going to do some aerial stuff you don't want to eat any meats or anything heavy because you're going to be really, really heavy. So if you're doing something where you're going to be on a wire and you're going to hit back and fly back, I would just eat something light. You know, if you know you're going to do it for that day, just have a bit of porridge, a bit of banana, that'll do, just some energy and stuff like that. You can go to town after that, but what you don't want to do, you don't want to be sick yeah. when you're doing something. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And I'm thinking for me as well, like the older I get, the bigger my window is from a big meal to actually doing anything. Yeah. You know, when you're young, it's fine. Yeah. You could give yourself 45 minutes, you're, yeah. you're kind of all right. Now, if I have like a big meal, I only like three, four hours before I can really... Yeah. Like say I was going to go and do a sure. starring class. Yeah. Yeah, probably four hours, maybe even more. If I have like a big lunch, still at seven o'clock at night, I'm like, fuck, I'm still just finishing off digesting Don't get me this wrong. food. We, there are times when we have lunch, it's like, right, straight back on set, sort of thing, straight after... Or even between your lunch, they'll be like calling you halfway through your lunch sort of thing. So you just got to suck it up, you know. It's just one of those sorts of things, and, and just hope for the best, you know. Have you had any? Uh, you haven't had any close calls. <sighs> I would say once or twice, you know. You, you especially when you have got big outfits on. So let's say I, I did some samurai stuff for Forty Seven Ronin, and you've got this full samurai outfit on. And if you need to go to the toilet, it's a real, really difficult. You've got to make your choices. <laughs> so it's kind of like <laughs> when you go there in the morning, the order is, okay, put your pads on and stuff like that. But have breakfast, go to the toilet, and then put your proper costume on. Because if you put your costume on and stuff like that, and then you have to go to the toilet, especially if you have to go to number two, it can be a major headache, <laughs> you know. And here's the thing. When we had our samurai outfits on, wardrobe, wardrobe uh, a lot of departments don't talk to each other so wardrobe doesn't talk to makeup makeup doesn't talk to stunts and they should and so what happens is everyone's trying to do the best thing they can do but they're not thinking about the performer so they'll make these great samurai outfits and you're thinking I can barely swing a sword in this yeah. and you just have to do it somehow and they're just thinking the, the wardrobe thinking no no the wardrobe you look great you look great I goes, yeah that may be good for you but it's not good for me so when we had the outfits on, there wasn't any hole for us to pee in and stuff like that. So a lot of guys just ripped the bottom of their outfits to 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 to, to take away and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and even when we had to, if we had to go to number two, we had to go to wardrobe and say, look, can you take all this armor off? And they'd have to put it back on. <laughs> so you really have to pick your times. Because if you get caught short, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and, and, and I guess as well, they're waiting for you back on set. You know, that's in the worst, worst case scenario, Absolutely. Right? 200 people standing yeah. there like, where's... Um, and you can guarantee the time you go to the toilet is the time you will get the call. <laughs> you know? It's like, a, it's like <laughs> you know, the way you're explaining it to me. It's like a, like when you have those bad dreams. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm wearing some weird costume and then, I need the, and then I need the loo, then I can't find the loo, then someone's calling me. It's, it's all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've had, I, I, I have this uh, recurring dream, like every probably five years, that I there's one more set of exams I have to do for my job that I've been doing for 25 years that I've forgotten about, and it's tomorrow. 
Yeah. And then someone tells me, hey, if you revise for the final exams tomorrow, <laughs> I'm like, what exams? Yeah. And I have this like every four or five years and I wake up in the night like in a sweat. Yeah. But yeah, that kind of uh, that kind of sounds like a, another version of the same dream, but that's that's a real thing. Everything on set, especially for stunts, is everything is I have this terminology as quick as you can. So everything has to be done yesterday. So we have to do a thing really, really quickly and it has to be done now. So, you know, we have to get some mats or do this, or if you have to change it out for you, you have to do it straight away, sort of thing. So you have to expect the unexpected a lot of time and, and just roll with it, you know, a hell of a lot of time. You know? and, and so you, as well as, as doing stunt performance, you're, do, you're stunt coordinating as well. Sometimes, uh, mainly, and, and mainly, mainly fight well. arranging more. Yeah. Uh, if it's, if it's a, a low-level stunt, yeah, I can do certain things. But once it gets a bit too big for me, then, you know... People with more experience have to take over for that, you know what I mean? But so with the with the kind of the fight coordination stuff, um, do it, I mean, I, I guess probably the answer you're going to give me is that it varies, but would would you, do you get sort of like the the direction of we need to fight in a bar, this, these six guys are breaking in and he's got two guys are trying to defend themselves and it this guy has to die and whatever, and then you go, right, I'm going to go away and choreograph a fight. Or do they say, do they give you much more kind of detailed, we want to see this, we want to see that, we want to see this guy get kicked in the face, we want to see that guy get shot in the chest? Or, or, or does it does it vary? And how do you kind of approach building uh, something like that? Normally they'll write what, they, we'll get some sort of synopsis of roughly what they want sort of thing. Um, and we will have a recce of the place we're going to fight in. Sometimes it doesn't happen because they can't get in there and you you just got to turn up on a day and just do it. Um, and then they might say, oh, we want this kind of gag. We want him to fall in this table. We want it to be breakaway. So that's a separate gag you, you, that you want, do you know what I mean? Um, but as long as you know that you've got a beginning and an ending, that that's that's all you need to know because especially in independent shooting, when you're doing independent films, Time is a real factor. So you, you'll get, you know, a lot of times they're doing the establishing shots and the fight stuff will come later. And what happens sometimes, you're, you're working, working, when you're running out of time. So you'll say to them, look, let's film the ending now because at least you've got the beginning and the ending. No one really knows how much is going to be in the middle so we can afford to lose some things. So even sometimes you choreograph some stuff and you'd have to lose whole chunks because it's just time. Time is always your enemy in these things. Mm. Um, so, so that is that kind of in terms of importance. That's how you approach, like how we're going to start it and try and get that shot, and how does it finish? And then you've got potentially ten bits in the middle that well, let's do the first one, second one, third. We run out of time. Don't worry about the other seven. So we've yeah. got the start and the finish and a few. Yeah, bits I mean, in we the try and do it chronological order, like a story sort of thing, you know. But obviously, the bits that are important, you'll keep in. Anything which is a bit wishy-washy, you can throw out, uh, or they can throw it out in the edit. Depend on depend on how they edit it as well. And so, when you're when you're sort of designing a, a fight sequence, do you do you kind of storyboard it in some way? Do you draw yourself little pictures, or do you write yourself notes? How do you kind of build it? Sometimes I put pen to paper. Um, but a lot of time it's, it's, it's during rehearsals. 
you'll work it through. You'll see uh, what the performers are capable of, for starters, because you've got to do it within their capabilities. Um, and how the fight is going to go. How do you want it to go? How do you want it to... Do you want it to have light and shade? Do you want it to have uh, a stop-start sort of stuff? Because it doesn't have to be fighting, 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 fighting. Sometimes the points where you stop create more importance, you know, like a punctuation, mm. you know. Um, but it's more important that that you educate the audience into why they're fighting and, and that they kind of almost care for uh, the characters to a certain extent. And uh, so you would you actually try to build that into the the fight sequence? Do you do you do you kind of when you get a brief for a job, do you see like the rest of the story and the script and everything? Do you do you kind of know what's the the, the either side of your scene or they just kind of tell you It's good to know either side of the scene. You can do a fight scene without knowing that. But it's good to know what they're about before and you know, like, like, what's going to happen to them after? Because it gives you a point of reference. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it just becomes like just this, this, this fight sort of thing where you don't know uh, why mm. they're fighting. You know? And and do you are you mainly going with other stunt performers, or or these days, or generally, are, are the actors involved in the in actually doing the fight scenes? It can be a mixture of both. You know, uh, if you're lucky enough to have people who are already skilled, uh, like stunt guys or screen fighters, then it, the job is a lot easier. Um, what becomes harder there is is the acting part because those guys don't really want to act; they want to fight. So you now you have to say to them, "Okay, you've got all that, but we've got to inject this other side of it." Whereas with the actors, they can sell everything. But it's just the technical things that they may not get, you know what I mean? Um, so you try and go with their abilities or try and give their strong points, that sort of stuff. And so if it, say you had a, a, a fight scene and it's all stunt performance, mm. would, they, would, would you and they actually have like a day or I don't know how long the rehearsals are of acting rather than just the fighting? Like, would you have actually maybe like an acting coach who comes in and says, "Listen, you're a really timid guy and whatever." No, uh, no, no. You'd, I think you'd. Uh, what it is is that you go over the fight and you go to general geographics, uh, where they're going to be, how the fight's going to look, you know, the, the 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 shape of it, and then as you as you as you go through the day or or a couple of weeks or whatever it is, it gets more and more specific. So, and, and would you would you be filming that on a whatever phone or whatever, so the director just, gets a look at it? Yeah, you would normally film like a sort of what they call like kind of kind of like a previs. They call it previs. So previs is like a a posh storyboard, right? Just shot on a camera. And some previs are so good they're like almost like the fight scene themselves. They're so good, yeah, because of the angles and even the special effects they put in stuff like that. Uh, it may not look like the environment they're actually supposed to be fighting in, but all the moves are there, and really, it's it's there to so the cameraman can follow it. They they should be able to follow it after that. It should be simple. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So yeah, you generally you generally film those things to make it easier, also for the cameraman because some camera guys have never fought, uh, have never uh, filmed action. But if you've worked in that, you know that he's going to hit him and you want to swing around for this and you want that and you want to capture this sort of stuff and that lot. So uh, 
camera guys have to be slightly ahead of us to a certain extent. I mean, they've got, to, they've got to learn the They've got to the learn it, as yeah. Well, right? They've got to yeah. learn it. They've yeah. actually got to be there. Uh, they've got to be ahead of the game slightly because they've got to know where they need to be on those shots, you know what I mean? Um, and the way they shoot actually now is, is a little bit more technical, a little bit easier in the fact that you only shoot three or four moves because the energy is going to be higher and then you cut and then move on sort of thing. Uh, you don't do the whole long, drawn-out 20 moves thing. And what you definitely don't do is, if you ever watch a movie and it's it's a bad fight, it's because they keep cutting. They'll show the guy going to hit, then they'll cut straight away to something else, cut something else, and it shows there's no flow. And normally that shows the inability of the performer. Right. So some actors, you'll see them and you'll think, oh, he, he can't fight because they've cut it so much. It's so confusing, you see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, that that I, I think goes to what you were saying earlier about trying to fix things in post. Yes. And ideally, not having to fix things in post. No, you don't really want to do that. <laughs> that, no. that, that that you know, again, just from from doing short films, that's always the the worst thing is is when you kind of get to edit it and you're like, shit, I haven't got that shot. Yeah, like that. <laughs> the yeah. one where he actually looks at the woman, I didn't yeah, film yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, right? How am I? And then it's like Lego, right? You're trying yeah. to piece together. How can it be that he looked at her, but you didn't see it, but she knew? And yeah, but I guess that's you. You don't worry about that, right? No, you you no. you you, you uh, perform the stuff that they want you to perform, and Absolutely. then yeah, yeah, someone yeah. else has got to worry about the. Yeah, I mean, ideally, it's it's nice because uh, it in. Especially in Hong Kong and you know the nicest movies, they have an action director. So what happens is the other director, and when it comes to the action, he goes, "Look, this is all yours. You do it," because they understand that language. They understand how it's supposed to be. They understand how it's supposed to be cut together, and it's more advisable for the action director to be in on the edit, to watch, to help the editor, uh, because otherwise the editor has to be thinking like you, because you may have a vision of how the fight looks. But when you get a footage and someone's edited it, you think, oh, it's not not supposed to be like that at all. Yeah. And what, so this was this was probably touches on on one of the questions I had about working doing UK stuff against doing stuff that's abroad. Yeah. And how's it different? Is that is that kind of the main difference that you've you've noted from shooting in the UK and, and not having an action director? Uh, yeah, there is that. But there's also the methods of, of, of way they work generally in film. It, it, it can be different. So if you're on a big Hollywood movie or Universal and that lot, things are at a sort of a reasonable pace. And everything is thought after. Everything is very meticulous. Everything is health and safety. And things seem to take a longer time. But if you go do some Bollywood stuff or independent stuff, it can feel like you don't know what the hell's going on because there's so much stuff going on and they just film the way they want to. They just film, sometimes just not even the rehearsal, they're just like, oh, let's just shoot it. And you're like, what? So I, you know, I came back from, I came from an independent background. So I was used to all that sort of stuff. But people who've only done big budget stuff and they go down to what I call more real filmmaking, the independent stuff, they're like completely like confused. I'm like, yeah, but this is just the way they do it. You know, they just uh, run by the skin of their teeth to a certain extent. Yeah, I think I think it, it's, it's probably, um, it depends sort of how you enter the film 
business. Not that I've mm. hardly any experience of it at all. But you know, if you, if I think if you come in through that kind of more independent route, you're very much thinking like. I've only got a few days. I've only got a little bit of money. I've got an extra camera for one day, but that's it. And this actor can only do a half mm. day. So I've got to get everything done. However I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Whereas I think if you come from a sort of a studio side of things, you know, so I think it's a bit like if you, if you, I don't know, do an internship at Goldman Sachs and then you, it's like, yeah, we have like, like one of my friends, he's a, he's a city boy. They, they used to send him to like New York and Australia and work for like a half an hour meeting. So they'd have like a 20 hour flight to, to Australia mm. to have a half an hour meeting with someone. And, he, and he's like, it wasn't even a meeting. It was because we're selling them bonds. And we're like, are the bonds okay? Yeah. Cool. Go back to the airport, get back on the plane again. It's like, yes. And business class, right? Mm. So it's, I don't know what that is, a £10,000 round yeah, trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To go and say to some guy, which you can just ring him up, like, are the bonds okay? Are the bonds okay? Or I come back again, and it, and and I think you know from that that sort of studio, it is it's a it's a business, isn't it? It yes. employs five thousand yeah. people on a movie, and these guys invest so that they can offset this tax write off, and da, da, da. and it's it's just a, it's just a kind of like a like a giant monster. Mm. that's doing its thing right and you're like a little tooth or a little yeah, earlobe yeah, or whatever yeah, 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 yeah. independent film is much more like everyone mucks in to yeah to try and get stuff done because I, I, I guess if you're on indie films they half the time are they asking you hey bro can you also have you ever hold the microphone before have you ever sometimes <laughs> yeah i mean i mean sometimes you know it's all in everyone does everything because uh there's more creativity so you you can talk to the director and give your input or they will ask you. Whereas if you're on a, something like, you know, Captain Marvel or whatever, Doctor Strange, do this, do that, get up, stand there, do this. And that's the format. You, you don't really want to be thinking for yourself because that's what they don't want, you know. And sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong because the chain of command is so long in big films that, you know, a guy might, might say, you're going to be standing here on the day and this moment and they're calling up going, why they start calling going, why'd they put you there? Because they told me to put you there. He goes, No, no, don't listen to them. There's a lot of that going on. And it's it's there's a lot of preparation. So it seems like everything takes so much longer for them to move this, to do this scene, to do this shot. So you might think, oh, we're just gonna do this this scene, but you don't understand how complex it is and how long it's gonna take. Whereas on the independent, they got it. They're like, move on, move on, move on. And when I mean independent, say, uh, for instance, uh, I did a Guy Ritchie movie with uh, Jason Stratham, something something Fortune it's called. And it's the sort of Stratham action movie. It's, it's, it's funny as well in it and that lot. And we just had to, me and the guys played these, uh, uh, I suppose, sort of a, black op guys who come in and, and, and raid this uh, laboratory and steal this thing and we're all in black shooting guns and all this sort of stuff. And it was a hard day. It was, it was in August and it was supposed to be in Russia but it was, it was in Farnborough. <laughs> yeah. So they made it look like Russia and it's supposed to be in Farnborough. So we're all in this black stuff and got these guns and we've got uh, armored vehicles and we're supposed to raid this place. But it was really, really hot. But we were in this attire which was obviously going to be very, very warm. 
And they had us doing everything. They had us, you know, uh, on the stairs outside the building, running up and then shooting this and doing that. But there was literally no break. It was like, right, moving on to the next set, moving on to the next set, moving on to the next thing. And I remember we had lunch and we didn't finish till about 11 at night, 9 at night because they wanted the darkness as well. That they'd completely forgotten to give us water since lunchtime. And I remember thinking, none of us have had a drop of water since then. And on a big set, they would be worried about that. Because if someone faints, you know, it's, it's all insurance and all this sort of stuff, they'd be feeding you water. And this one, they were just like, no, no, we're just going to, they're just running us to the ground. And I was like, wow. And this wasn't even low, low budget. It was, it was lowish, but not, yeah. not, not bottom of the rank. Yeah, I remember, I remember, I think it's Luc Besson. I was listening to an interview with him. And I can't remember what movie it was on, but he was it was some movie and they needed, uh, I think there's like fish come out of the sky. So they had to basically go to this fish market like four o'clock in the morning and buy like 600 kilos of fish, put them in a, like a digger thing, do them for this scene so they all fell. But I remember him saying like we basically, we collected them all up and washed them and then it was someone's job to go around to all the fishmongers and we sold them all. So like, like literally it was like the budget was, was right, we oh, buy yeah. the fish and then we sell them back so people can eat them for their dinner. And they've been dropped out <laughs> of a digger in this movie. But yeah, yeah, that's the that's the that's the difference. So so um one one thing I wanted to ask you was um and we and we started talking mm. about it outside, was being on set and, and acting with or, or hanging out with um any famous people. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you've got some stories. We got halfway through the headbutt with um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Yeah. But yeah, have you have you got some memorable? Yeah, I accounts? mean, I'll 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 finish Tom Hardy one with you. I'll, yeah. So well, t- t- tell tell the whole thing. Okay. So probably people won't even bother watching the. Other okay, video. so it's 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 a new film called Havoc. It hasn't come out yet, and it's with Gareth Evans who done the raid and all that sort of stuff. So I'd worked with Gareth quite a lot. Um, and funny enough, uh, Joe Tazen was in the raid and I doubled him on Fast 6 and there's a link there. So when I turned off on on on, on this, this film Havoc, uh, it wasn't Havoc, it was, it was another film. I turned up on a horror film for Gareth Evans. He was like, oh, by the way, this was you, this was Joe Tazen's double. So there was a link there. So we were laughing about that sort of thing. Anyway, he called me up to, they called me up to do a scene with Tom Hardy and, uh, you know, my coordinator, Jude Poyer, who's a really, really good coordinator, he said, look, this is a really good scene for you. And it was just really him walking through the market and he grabs me and I'm trying to extort some money for someone. He throws me against this metal ga- this metal um, garage door, headbutts me and throws me through this metal door. Um, and I don't really get star. I try not to get starstruck. I try to think it's just another guy, whatever and stuff like that. But everyone's like, "Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna fight Tom Hardy, you're gonna whatever." So, and as usual, don't know what's going on. So I turn up. Um, he was late, and people already complained. They were like, "Oh, someone decided to be late." And I'm like, "Well, you know, he's Tom Hardy. I mean, you can't say anything, can you?" And he was part producing it, and I remember when he turned up. He obviously, he didn't do, we haven't done any rehearsals. We're just going to shoot this scene. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he turns up and I can see him looking at me and he's 
he's sizing me up straight away because he's supposed to be the alpha male, obviously, and he, I'm, but my role is the tough guy, so I'm going to have something about me. And we do this scene, and they said, "Don't worry, he's just going to come in, he's going to spin you around, and then he's going to look like he's going to throw you, but he's going to stop there." Okay, so okay, cool, fine, that's okay. We'll do that, you know. And obviously, when you don't know someone's touch, you don't know how they can react. So, as stunt people, we're supposed to suck it up no matter what they do, even if they're heavy-handed. But you don't quite know what they're going to do. And, you know, he's a strong guy, Tom Hardy. So he wasn't gentle in any sort of way. And I was like, okay, so this is how it's going to go. <laughs> and they had like a soft, what they call, um, they call it a, like a, not, not a soft scenery sort of thing. So what they do is they, they had this padding in the back of the garage, uh, the, the door, the metal door, to stop me from getting my head slammed into it. So they had that there, and we were rehearsing it all. I was rehearsing it with the double before, and they were showing me this sort of stuff, and saying, he's going to do this, and he's going to do that, and all this sort of stuff. But no one really knows what he's going to do. So we practiced a few runs and that lot, you know, not, not too hard and everything, and pushed me into this thing and everything, and, you know. And on the day of the, sh when they say on the day, when they're about to shoot, they took away the padding. I thought, okay, so that's fine. So they said, don't worry, we're only going to go up to that bit where he grabs you and he's going to pretend to throw you. And that never happened. He, every take he did, he slammed me against this thing and my head would go and smash against this metal door, which was okay-ish, you know. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't enough to knock me out, but obviously enough to, enough to feel it. And I remember the coordinator coming out. It's the first time he worked with me. He goes, um... He goes, you're right, you're okay, you know, because he keeps slamming you on the thing. And I said, no, no, I'm fine, don't worry, just, just let him do his thing, you know. And then he was supposed to headbutt me, but he was supposed to headbutt me uh, full on from the back, so he couldn't cheat it. So obviously I'm thinking, well, he, this is quite a dangerous move when he headbutts me. But he was really, really uh, proficient and accurate, just like a stunt guy, you know. He was looking at the eye he was going to headbutt and stuff like that. And he was, he was very professional. And as the day went on, we loosened up and we got to joke and stuff like that. And he was a really guy, a really nice guy, a gentleman, that lot. Um, and there was a lot of comradeship, piss-taking, stuff like that. And the last bit, he grabs me and he throws me through this metal door. And he threw me through this metal door. And obviously, I had pads on, so I went through my elbow. Because it's a real door and everything. It's not, it's not a breakaway or whatever. And he threw me through his door and I stacked it on the ground that lot at the other entrance. And the coordinator came around just after that take and he goes, are you okay? That look, it looked amazing. You look like you really got hurt. And I was like, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. So I know I've done a good job once they do that. And so he goes, but the next take, Leon, he goes, he's not going to throw you through the metal door. I'm not going to have that. And I was like, okay, you got my safety. He goes, you're going to throw yourself through the door. I went, okay, cool, I'll do that as well. You know what I mean? Um, but I was glad to see that the coordinator had my had my back and that lot. And the main thing for me was that if it looked real, then I've done my job. And Could, I was really. Do you, happy. do you think you'll be able to tell which did Did you do the second take where you threw yourself through the door? Yeah, I did both. Yeah. Do you, do you, will you be able to tell when you watch the movie which? which I, I one don't they know. Use? I I don't know which one they'll use. I mean, I I haven't seen it. I didn't see the playback. Um, I should I should really have watched the playback after because. If you're going to do this kind of work where you're doing action stuff, it's always good to look at the monitor to see 
what you need to do, but yeah. I never bother most right. of the time. I just whatever sort of thing. Um, I mean, he he had a bit. We had a gun. We had to push it into me, and he was great. He showed me the uh, you know there's no no bullet in the chamber. He did all the safety stuff. He said, "Do you mind me pushing it into your face and stuff like that?" And it was really good, you know. So it it was it was a really really good day. But uh, like I said, you know, you never know what to expect. You never know how hard or how soft they're gonna go or whatever, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and did you do did you do any stuff with Jason Statham when you were on that other movie? I didn't. No, no, he was in a different scene. Sometimes you're on a film and you may not be in the same scene, sort of thing. You know. Have you have you had any other onset? Uh, Close encounters uh, with, with. I fought Paul Bettany, uh, oh, Paul okay. Bettany on yeah, a yeah. film called Mordecai with Johnny Depp, uh, and it was Mordecai is like a kind of Pink Panther spoof sort of film. Right. So the gag is uh, we are at a table, and this was a stunt role, but it was also an acting role. So I play a heavy, and I'm with this other guy, and Johnny Depp and, and is at the table negotiating stuff like that. And Paul Bettany is sitting at another table. And what happens is um, we're talking, 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 and the deal goes wrong, and I pick up a chopper to go to chop Johnny Depp's arm off, hand off. And then Paul Bretley comes in. He's like, I've got your back. He points a gun at my head. And then this fight kicks off, and it involves me fighting Paul Bretley and then getting thrown into a bar and then getting set on fire. Or set on, yeah, thrown into a bar and then getting set on fire. So Paul Bettany came to rehearsals and we did all the fight stuff and that lot. And what happens is, is during the fight, he gets alcohol in his arms and he gets set on fire. So when he gets set on fire, he punches us and we've got alcohol in us and we get set alight and stuff like that. So he was going to do all this. He even did the fire bit of his arms. He did the, the practice run and everything like that. Um, so he came down to rehearsals and he was really, really good. And Johnny Depp didn't come down. And we said, so what's Johnny going to do? And they sort of went, well, his, the people looking after said, well, Johnny would just do his thing. And I said, well, he's just going to turn up and just do whatever. And I said, yeah, because, but it's going to be quite dangerous because we'll be fighting and stuff like that. He goes, don't worry, Johnny would do his thing. I think, so great, this is going to make it even more difficult because he's just going to do whatever he does on the set. We don't know where he's going to be, what he's going to do. He just stuck behind a table, whatever, and stuff like that. But I remember fighting Paul Bettany. And uh, at one stage, I think he... That he missed the punch in the coffee or it went wrong or something like that. And he kind of came up to me after the take and said, Oh, I missed that. I goes, Don't worry, you, you, no one would have seen it. You, you, you know, don't worry about it. No one knows, you know what I mean? That yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but when he came to throw me over the bar, he's grabbed, he grabs me, he's supposed to throw me over this bar and I'm supposed to go over sideways and smash the back of the bar and everything like this after my friends being thrown over. And when he grabbed me and he went to run with me, and just before we watched the bar, they they said cut, and I literally like forced myself from going over. And I think he got a bit uh, a bit frightened because he was a bit frightened about hurting me and stuff like that. So and because there was that break when they said cut, he just walked off, and then the double had to do it, double step to and threw me and stuff like that because I think he felt a bit unconfident. And he, it was, that's probably the best play for him. Uh, if he feels that uh, maybe the stunt double should do it, then it's easier sort of thing. So, so would they generally, if, if it's sort of an action scene mm. and, you're a, and you're a star, you'd have a stunt double there and 
you do some bits, they do some bits. If you don't feel like doing it on the day, they, they give it to them. Is that is that kind of how it works? Most directors want their actors to do everything right, right now. Uh, and they're well-rounded now. They're all physical. They're all quite, quite uh, well-rounded. But the double will be there just in case he can't do something. Or the double will be there also to tell him how to do something. So say, oh, look, your right leg should be here. You should do this and stuff like that. So... Um, but if there's anything he doesn't want to do, then the double will step in. And, and so would would you tend to get sometimes attached to certain actors? That if you look quite a lot like Paul Bettany, when when they hire him on a movie, they say, oh, Paul Bettany's doing another movie, do you want to double him? Do, do, do you, as a stunt uh, double, do you follow certain actors or is it just different for every movie? Sometimes... Um, some stunt doubles will will get close to the actors, like the rock stunt double. I was going to say the the rock as an example. There can't be that many people that look that much no, like the rock, right? There isn't. They found one guy who is. I worked with him on Fast Six. He's absolute spitting image of him in everything. And I think somewhere along the line, family wise, they're related. Somewhere right. down the line, but he is the only one who doubles rock, and they're very close like that. Same with um, uh, the guy who doubles Thor. Um, uh, what's his name now? Yeah, I forget his name. My wife's favourite actor. Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Chris yeah. Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. So I know I, uh, his double, who looks exactly like him as well, they're very close as well. Um, oh, his, 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 his double is Bob, Bobby Dazzler. That's his, that's his name on Instagram. Bobby Dazzler. But he's a great stunt man and he doubles. It's like a life job now because he looks like Chris Hemsworth and he does everything for him. So if you're lucky to really look so, like someone, yeah. then you could go far. So I know a few, one or two people have doubled Stratham and it's been like almost a lifetime job for them. Yeah. You know, um, it was different for me when I doubled Joe Taslim, although I looked like him and everything like that, there's a million other people they could use. So there's a million other people in Indonesia who look like him who could double him. It wasn't very, it wasn't very specific sort of thing. So yeah. it wasn't going to be Joe Chasm's double forever. You know, it wasn't going to be like that at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, and also they have a few doubles on the set, so they might have three or four or two or three, because if something goes wrong or or one double has to go with them on first unit, the other one has to go second unit. Sometimes you have split days, so you'll have doubles, a couple of doubles. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it is a big, it is a big, uh, big production thing. Really, it's always it? just in case. Yeah. Everything is just in case, just in case, just in case something happens. And have you had any other? Uh, you been on with any any other kind of celebs? Anything else notable? Uh, I, I've, uh, I was in a fight scene with, uh, well, a scene with Captain America, um, which is Chris Chris Evans. His name is Chris Evans. Yeah, he didn't get very close to us. He was sort of like. It, we're interested stunt he was like yeah yeah hi it was really I always really wonder you know with these big actors some of them you hear are like really friendly some of them are not friendly some of them who you think would be yeah. or not and, and vice versa generally it's been alright I haven't come across anyone who hasn't been really horrible but what you do forget is that okay you're doing a fight and stuff with them but their day is so structured they've been pushed around by his assistants all the time They've got a reading here. They've got the PR thing there. They've got doing thing there. So they have a quite a lot of pressure on them, uh, especially if it's a lead actor. Everyone's looking at them. You know, you're thinking, oh, you come do action with us. Um, 
but they might have their headspace somewhere else. They might be in character. Uh, even if they walk on set, they might be in character. Because uh, some, some, some actors are like that. They never break character. Um, and it must be really stressful, like carrying a big movie. Of course You've it is. You've got a $200 yeah. million dollar film and yeah. you're, you know, it's, your face is going to sell it or not. Exactly, yeah. Every every minute <laughs> thing. With us, it's different. We we just turn up, we get tossed around. And that, like, it doesn't matter. It's, the focus isn't on us. The focus is on them. I mean, Daniel Craig, uh, when we when they did No Time to Die, I did the last scene where he's going up shooting everyone and throwing grenades and stuff like that. The very last scene is going up killing the bad guy. And uh, when he turned up, he had to do a lot of the work because he has to come up all through and he has to do many small sequences, shoot this guy, do that. So he has to remember all this stuff. And although it's not in one take, they want to they shoot a lot of it. And he was really professional, really good. In fact, I'll tell you a funny thing. Um, <laughs> so we, we've been rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. And then the actor comes in after we've got the rehearsals properly down and then he'll walk through it, he'll look at it, stuff like that, if he has the time. And it's always good for us because then we can have him there. So we have this scene where me and this guy come come uh, around a corner and we're shooting at him. Uh, my friend gets dropped first and what happens is as Daniel Craig is going up, he's he runs out of uh, bullets. So he has to get another gun from somewhere, but there's no gun there. So we gave him this idea. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, um, when the guy fell on the floor, he would go down as I'm shooting and he would he would use his barricade and he would shoot from shooting from a holster. You know, great, great sort of move. Right? And I thought, okay, we'll go with that, you know. So as my friend gets shot, I come out and I've got maybe maybe ten rounds, you know, which is shoot. Uh, a couple of rounds, a couple of rounds, a couple of rounds, but you've only got 10 rounds and that's it. That's your lot. So in this time, he has to avoid me shooting him and then he has to find this gun on this guy who's lying on the floor to holster and shoot me from there. And as he's come through and there's all this smoke and explosion, stuff like that, he's gone down and I started firing like that and I could see that he was finding it really hard to find the gun in the holster and I'm running out of bullets. So I was like, I don't know how long this can last. And then he was, and then I ran out of bullets and he was still trying to find a holster. And I thought, oh shit, he hasn't found a holster. I have to, I'm gonna have to make something up. I'm gonna have to look less eggy. So I started, you know, loading a gun and think it was jammed and that lot. And in the end, he wasn't gonna get to it. And they cut. And Daniel Craig went fucking ballistic. He was, he was like, fucking this, fucking cunt. But it wasn't. To us, it was to his own performance because he realised that he'd messed that shot up. He was kicking the wall and stuff like that. He was really upset with himself because he felt he'd let let everyone down, you know. And uh, I was like, wow, you really, are, you really are feeling this role, you know. And because he was uh, partly part producer, he was also on the outside of the camera looking at the monitor and everything. And he was a real team player because I remember even during rehearsals, he would get waters and hand them out to, to the stunt guys and stuff like that. And I thought that's really, really good because. So did, did they go back and, sh and shoot that scene again? And oh, we did it. We got it eventually. We got it. Stuff. I mean, the, the actual scene itself, when you watch it back. I've got like the, all these movies now. I'm going to go straight home. There was so much right, smoke that you couldn't even see anything. You just see figures, you right. know. Um, 
And that's because the coordinate has one thing in mind, and then when they shoot it, the director has nothing in mind. And it can be totally the opposite. Yeah. It can be totally opposite uh, view of things. Because what there is, the coordinator is always is, is doing his previous and doing his rehearsals and, and passing them to the director. And the director is supposed to look at it and go, yeah, we'll go with that one. But it always changes. It always changes. So back to be, be ready for anything. Being able to adapt. Yeah. You know, because if it will change, it will change. And they, they don't care how it's going to change. They just want it to change. It doesn't matter. And and one thing I wanted to ask you then was about shooting guns. Mm. So there's there's a whole thing around gun safety and oh, how, yes. that, how that yeah. all works. And and did you do any actual kind of like firearms training when you, initially when you started doing gun stuff? Did you go go to shooting ranges and learn how to no, handle real uh, weapons? No, I, I didn't do any of that. I just, when, when we did, our uh, gun stuff we'd have an armorer there and he'd take us away for an hour or two and show you everything show the protocol show you how to clear the chamber and stuff like that so it's very very uh step by step in this country anyway so when you're starting uh you won't have any mags in there the arm will come around just before that's going to start put the mags in stuff like that check everything it's loaded everything you fire off the rounds, do your scene, you'll check it, you go clear, he will take the gun off you, he will take the, the mag out and stuff like that. And uh, it's, it's really up to the armor to keep all that safe. Um, even when you haven't got the, when even the gun's not loaded, that gun's your responsibility. You keep it with you all the time. And, and you're shooting blanks. Yes. Do, do you still get the same kind of noise and recoil out of blanks? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Feels yeah, yeah. like shooting a live yeah. rounds. Yeah, absolutely. If you, uh, even when we're shooting, um, you don't really point at the person, you point slight, slightly off, just for even more safety. Yeah. Because even if I fired, like, a semi-automatic weapon from this distance, you'd feel it. Right. You'd feel that. You'd yeah. feel something inside you, you know. And if there's anything in the chamber, like a piece of metal or something like that, you know, that, that could possibly uh, damage you. you know? Yeah, because I, I I mean, I, I shot guns for the first time. I think it was last year we went to Poland. My wife's Polish. And um, her friend uh, said, oh, you got to come and shoot. He shoots regularly. He's like, you got to come and shoot. I was like, you know what? I don't really want to shoot guns. Guns are mm. they're for killing people. Oh, it was so such good fun. I had such a good time. But, you know, actually... Even even shooting like a small caliber, mm. like a handgun, as soon as you shoot one round, you you suddenly realise like, wow, this is like no joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get you. You get that same feeling even when you're holding weapons because they're they're real weapons, just with yeah, with with just with black blanks. rounds. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're yeah. holding real real yeah. guns. Yeah. Well, what I did notice is that they didn't. It didn't feel as much kick as I thought they would have. Some of them, you know. Yeah. I mean, I've 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 used some hang. I haven't used a shotgun. I've used like handguns and AK forty sevens and M M forties and stuff like that. And are they are they just as loud when they're firing? Blades? Yeah, they are. That, yeah, unbelievable, definitely. right? They are very. They 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 now have some rounds which are they're called almost silent rounds now. Yeah, I, we had you know ear defenders on, mm. and I did one. I had, I, I don't know what I'd probably like ten shots in a in a magazine in an AK forty seven. And the guy was like, yeah, do you want to shoot another one? I was like, no, my ears are ringing, bro, <laughs> with the ear defenders on. So, I mean, is that something that you that you kind of 
is programmed in when they're doing the stunts that you're not holding guns next to your ears and, and shooting them as a performer? Well, we obviously we have uh, we have uh, you know um, what do you call it uh, earplugs and stuff the, like that. The in ear, we have the in ear plugs and stuff like right, that. Right, right. Um, and I'll tell you a funny story that um, I was doing twenty four live another day, and it was the final one of that series with Keith Sutherland uh, playing Jack Bauer. Yeah, right. So it's set in London, and it was a la- very last scene where we're on a we're on a ship, some sort of ship. And there's this there's this gunfight and this fight in the, on on the deck. Well, not on the deck, in the main control room. And he he comes to the the, the, the main boss, and we played the, the uh, uh, bodyguard, so to speak. And I actually had a part. It was named bodyguard. So my thing is, I come up the corridor. He he sticks a neck in my now in my uh, sorry, sticks a knife in my neck, and uses me as a body shield. Uh, uh, leads me into his room. And then proceed to double tap me from from the back, shoot me, and then fight everyone else and kill them and stuff like that. So, I thought I was quite experienced. I've done a few gun stuff and that lot. And um, because he was using a handgun, I thought, oh, I wouldn't need any air defenders, right? And I thought stupidly, thought I'll just run it without it. And uh, because we're in a, a room which is metallic, it's a control room that's so metal, so the sound is going to resonate everywhere. And I remember. When he double tapped me, I after that I couldn't hardly hear anything, and I'd wish I'd put the, the ear defender in, but I just had a ring. So even that that handgun was enough. Yeah, you know, it's definitely enough. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And any other memorable moments? Memorable moments. Uh, what with uh, with anything bad shit, good shit, famous shit. There was one with uh, uh, the new Captain Marvel that's coming out. Uh, so we we did that. Uh, last year, year before that, and Brie Larson plays Captain Marvel. So we had a day where, uh, and funny enough, it was we had Nova virus, an outbreak on in the studio. That's a sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, you double end and all that sort of stuff. It was during the COVID, just sort of the end of COVID time as well. So, so we turned up for work, and and the riggers who do the wire work, they didn't turn up and half of the second unit didn't turn up. Everyone's going down Nova virus. So they decided to shoot anyway. And uh, Brie Larson, we were shooting a scene where in a corridor and Captain America, she, uh, Captain Marvel, she, she, you know, beats us all up and stuff like that and wear these guys in this armor and stuff like that. We're Cree warriors. And um, my scene was she was going to, Carried this gun and she was going to knock the gun out of my hand, which was going to send me sort of uh, uh, doubling over, and then she was going to jump over me and do this crazy move or something like that. So normally we do the stunts first, and then the actor will follow it. So I do the stunts and they'll show the actor and they'll do that. But because it, uh, for some reason the stunt double wasn't there, we had to shoot the actress first. Okay, and I remember thinking. When she walked on, I was like, hey, 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 you know, that sort of thing, not realising it was actually Brie Larson, it wasn't a stunt double. So I was really like, oh, okay, sort of thing. And she's very slight, you know, she's very, very slight. You know, double's probably a little bit taller than her. And she'd done this thing where she pulls the gun through and she's supposed to spin and knock the gun out of my hand. But because the gun is, is rubber and it's quite heavy, so as she's come round, instead of hitting the gun, she just, she just launched it and let it go. And it just hit me full on, like, 
around the face and the neck, which is fine. I was wearing a helmet and it looked good. It knocked me over sort of thing. And that was good. And I thought that was great, you know. So we did that scene and everything. And then we, 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 do the, uh, we did it with the double. So after that, she's supposed to fire some rays and we're supposed to get hit by wires. We're, we're on the wires. We're supposed to fly off. We're getting hit by, by some, some uh, sort of super rays or whatever it was. So obviously the double had to now, because she's thrown a gun at me, the double now has to go with that. But the double threw it so well, when she turned around and threw it, it came on, a, on like, a, like a, a perfect pathway and just totally choked me out, totally took my neck out and literally took me off my feet. And it was a great throw because it just completely took me out, you know what I mean? So sometimes those, those takes, they're, they're the best ones or they're the realistic ones. So we've well. got to look for that one. Yeah. The, the crew that goes And also the thing the is, the, the, the thing went into my neck and the camera's behind her with the steady cam. As I fell, they just ran over me. They just, they, they, I could feel the cameraman just stepping on me like that. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so, yeah. uh, giving, giving everything for your craft, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where we're supposed to take knocks and so people are just like, okay, just, just roll with it, you know, just, yeah. just do whatever, you know what I mean? Beautiful. All right, I've got three more questions for sure. you, which are, which are nothing to do with stunts or martial arts. So number one is, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? What, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? Uh, I would rather f fight the horse-sized duck, the yeah. ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, cool. Question number two is uh, you are stuck in a TV show for a month. What would you choose? Stuck in a TV show for a month. What would I choose? A current one or, or a past oh, one? Any, whatever you like. Uh, let me think. What my favourite shows. Mine at the moment is A-Team. I would be the fifth member of the A-Team. Oh, I see, right. And, okay. I, and I had... Um, Jude Samuels was on uh, recently, who's a jiu-jitsu guy, and he went with Miami Vice, which I thought was a good oh, one. Oh, Miami Vice is quite a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my God. Um, for me, it would have to be some sort of 90s martial arts movie. Okay. I think some, something along that line. Have you got right? a favourite or no? Not really. Any 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 sort of Jackie ones and Donny ones, you know those sorts of things. Maybe yeah. Have, have you got a favourite Jackie Chan movie or no? There's a uh, Drunken Master Two was one of my favourite. Okay. Purely because of Ken Lo is 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 doing the kicking and I, I just absolutely love that. You know what I mean? You know. Cool. But, All yeah. right. And then last question is: You're going to have ten million pounds in cash right now, but you're being chased by a snail. If the snail touches you, you die a horrible death. The snail knows where you are at all times. It cannot be stopped. It cannot be killed. And it has only one purpose, which is to get to you. Mm. Would you take the money? I 
I would, but you'd have to be looking over your shoulder all the time. You see, so that that's that's the that's the that's the that's the downfall of is it that you take the money? I know the yeah. snail is slow. You're you're forever going to be looking over your shoulder. Yeah, but you'd go with the money. Yeah, because I think for that time period, it'd be worth a stretch. I think. Cool. Time for you, definitely. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much for coming. Oh, that's no to, problem. It's been talk. a pleasure, definitely. It's, it's, it's been, been really, really, really good to talk to you. Um, you're active on Instagram, yes, which is at Leon Chi Chi Stunts. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So I'll put I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and are you? Do you do other social media? Are you? Are you elsewhere as well? Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, Twitter, I don't really, I don't really do Twitter that much, but yeah, mainly Facebook and Instagram. Sort Facebook of and Instagram. And have you got a website at the moment? Do you still have sort of put content up, or you do you just use social media? I have, I have got a YouTube channel where I put things up and stuff like that, but it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's not very slick in that lot. But I do put stuff on there if anyone wants to see me because I usually refer to that. Yeah, so I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll put links for all of those in the in the show notes. Um, and that and that will Instagram or whatever is the best way for people to get in touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leon Chi underscore stunts. That's it. Yeah. Underscore yeah, stunts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Awesome. So um, thank you again for coming thank down. You. I it's really been appreciate good. It's been it. A pleasure. Um, I, I'm a, I am a, I'm a movie lover, so it's nice to <laughs> to talk to someone who's kind I'm of living the living the dream. Yeah, living the getting dream. Hit yeah. In the, getting hit in the throat <laughs> with rubber guns and run <laughs> yeah, over yeah. by cameraman. Um, thank you guys for listening. I know everybody's time is precious, so if you uh, if you manage to make it all the way through the episode, um, I appreciate your time. As I said at the beginning, follow the uh, follow the podcast uh, at White Basement Pod on Instagram is the best place. Um, everything gets shared to Facebook, so it's there as well. YouTube, Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts, um, leave us a little review, leave us some comments on the Instagram and if you enjoy the episodes then um, share them with other people, uh, uh, sharing it helps us to uh, grow the audience. New episode every Tuesday at 5am UK time and we'll catch you next time. If you don't deserve my love you won't get it.